welcome to church on the first Sunday of the new year. Won't you stand with us? Let's worship together. Come on. And I searched the world, but he couldn't feel me. In man's empty praise and treasures and faith, I never enough. And then you. So I'm not afraid 
weapon of worship this morning. I encourage you to sing this in your home. Come on, let's sing it together. Barely hanging on by a thread of hope. Hard to see beyond everything unknown. With your strength, I'll stand. It's all I can do. I will lift my hands and see my way through. So when I'm broken at my
Let's pray together. We thank you for the empty tomb, Lord. That you put the enemy to shame through it. Lord, we bring a weapon of worship into our homes. May you lead us. May this be a year that we draw closer to you. This be a year we gather. like to be in community. We need your Holy Spirit. So come, Jesus. Why do we gather? We gather to learn from the Word. We gather to train through spiritual practices. We gather to experience redemptive community. We do all of this through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why we gather. Morning, Calvary. Uh, thanks for joining us today on this January 3rd. I'm recording this obvious a little early. Um, I don't really even know what January 3rd is going to look like at this point. Our best intention at the time of recording is to gather next week, January 10th, in person. However, if that is not true, make sure and check emails and everything um, going forward because I've learned you just don't know what's coming down the road. But it's very appropriately, we are diving into a new series, and at first glance, it may look like, how does this fit in? But the very uh, idea of this series is the importance of the church. So we've entitled this series, Why We Gather. Now you're sitting there going, Daniel, wouldn't this be better off if we shifted this away from um, watching this and viewing this at home? But I think it's very important for us to begin to articulate why we gather as important, even in the midst of gathering from our couches today. You see, one of uh, the important things to understand is why is the church necessary. Uh, there's a quote from John Stott that says this, one of our chief evangelical blind spots has been to overlook the central importance of the church. We tend to proclaim individual salvation without moving on to the saved community. Let, let me give you a little further explanation what he means by that. I've often described the church as a, a grain of sand. And the grain of sand gathered together with millions of other grains of sand becomes a destination that people long to attend. And so in that illustration, and it's a right illustration, it's a good illustration, it, it basically displays the idea of the church as, as being a necessary component to being attractive for the lost world to come to know Jesus. However, there's another central part of the church that says that as we gather together, we refine each other. We reproof each other. We, we are allowing ourselves to edify what it looks like to grow. Around here, we have a discipleship pathway. And that discipleship pathway talks about learning and training and community. And it's this idea of gathering together that we're able to hold each other accountable. We're ever able to be on mission 
more in a unified way. We're able to make a larger difference. So we're going to look at that slowly over the next few weeks. And we're going to start today by the importance of what it looks like to learn in community. You see, the first step of discipleship is to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the first step of learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to learn how to, to, learn how to grow with Christ. And as you begin to know how to learn how to grow in Christ, you're often referred to as a babe in Christ. Well, babies can't really take care of themselves, so the church is able to help each other know how to begin to take those first steps in our faith. This is important. This is an important understanding. But I also want to say it's just as important for those who are mature in their faith to grow and understand what it looks like to chase after Jesus because we're still humans. And we need to learn how to lean into each other as a community. To do so, to look at this discipleship pathway and the understanding of why we're gathering, we're going to actually go through the chapter of uh, Colossians chapter 3 over the next few weeks. But to set up Colossians 3 and to help us to understand why this is important, I want us to first look at what's going on in Colossae, the church of Colossae. And as you unpack the book of Colossians, the first two chapters are basically doctrine, and the last two chapters are the application. So as we get into Colossians chapter 3, we're going to understand the application of how we live for Christ as a church. But when Paul is addressing the church of Colossae, the reason he first has to address with the, the issue of doctrine is there's some doctrines that have permeated the church that are causing alarm. So in Colossians 2, 8 through 10, it says this, Be careful that no one takes you captives through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head of over every ruler and authority. So he's saying, be careful that, that the church is learning how to follow Christ in the right way. That the church is edifying and encouraging to do. Why? Because there will be people in the church that use the people in the church for their own gratification, their own uh, building up. As we talked about on the last week in the sermon, it's the idea of making an internal idol and using the people to build up their self-esteem. So in Colossians 2, 20 through 23, it says this. This is how we should practice this as a church. If you have died with Christ to the elements of the world, why do you live as you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to the regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. Let me make this very clear. What he's saying there is that you by yourself have a way to manipulate and make religion about you instead of the glory of Christ. And as we're trying to seek the glory of Christ and what he is about and exalting him, we need each other to help us reproof and, and, and find out the ways that we are, are falling away, the ways that we are, are not doing the learning of what it means to dwell in Christ as he intended it. This is important to understand. 
This is important for us to understand why we need each other, because you and I are not perfect. In fact, we're misfits. That's, that's one reason I always use this definition of the church. The church is a group of misfits gathered together to draw closer to God and to one another. And sometimes people argue with me, this idea of misfits, but it's kind of the idea that maybe you notice this about your family. You know, um, over the Christmas holidays, we put the fun in dysfunction. And we're all dysfunctional. We all have our problems and our faults. And the body of Christ fit together helps us to refine the body if we're chasing after Christ. But if we aren't chasing after Christ first and foremost, then what ends up happening is the church doesn't become attractive. It just seems to exasperate and, and rather blow up and, and make our dysfunctions more pronounced. This is why it's important for us to understand why we gather together to learn. Because the church as a group of people who are imperfect are drawn together for the idea of being wrapped in the presence of God the dysfunction will begin to melt away. And the peace that we talked about the last uh, week, and the, the idea of hope and joy and faith, will all these things that we talked about with the coming of Christ, this then is pronounced in our life, and we begin to be changed. So, as we begin to get to the application, he's gone through the dangers of the, the doctrinal errors in the church. He's gone through the idea of wrapping your mind in the presence of Christ. And he begins the articulate definition of what it looks like to have an application of chasing after Christ. Colossians 3, 1-4 through 4 is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. So if you've been raised with Christ... Seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For if you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you are follower of Christ, then set your mind first and foremost on Christ. So this begins to beckon the question. To all of us, what does it mean to seek what is above? And as I look around the world, here's what I think. I think a lot of times the church looks left or right before they look up. We look to other believers. We look to other people in our world. We look left or right before we look up. And I think this is articulated through three dangers that were found not only in the church of Colossae. They're found in this book. And there's three things that can still permeate our churches, good things that can be taken badly. So let's look real quickly at three good things that can go bad within the life of our church when we don't look up, but when we look to the left or the right first. The first one is our theology. This is the idea of replacing God's words with your opinions about God. You ever know people who do that? Well, God wouldn't want you to do that. Really? How do you know that? It, are you basing this off the Bible? Are you basing the, what? How do you know that your theology is in line with what God has said? Now, here's something that was said to me once in seminary class, and at first it made me very uncomfortable. So let this rest on you today with a little uncomfortable. Part of what you believe about God right where you sit today is wrong. Part of what you believe about God right here is wrong. How do I know this? Because you have not yet arrived. 
Because when you look at God, you can't help but through a sinful lens not fully know him. If you fully know him, you would be in his presence eternally and you would not sin anymore. It doesn't mean that we don't know that our foundation is right. It doesn't mean that we can't know him personally. I know my wife extremely well. It's the relationship that makes us married. But even though I think sometimes I know her better than she knows herself, I do not. And so if you're understanding that part of what you believe about God is wrong, then with fear and trepidation, it makes you seek what is actually true more. Be careful with our theology. Actions, part of our actions are just for us and not really about the glorifying of God. This is evidence through legalism. This is where Paul was addressing this in the Church of Colossians. Part of our actions, and actions are important. The reason we need to gather, which is an action, is so we can learn how to grow. But even at that, sometimes people are like, well, we have to gather where the church, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We'll come back to that more a little bit later. Justice. A good thing. The Bible tells us in Micah 6 to seek justice. But when we're replacing God's calling with your passion, justice can go awry. When we're ignoring all of the justice issues for the issues that matter only to you, justice can take a pinnacle place and can become an idol and take us away from God. Now, theology, actions in serving God, and justice are very important. Please don't hear me say I'm minimalizing those in any way. I'm saying they have to be there for the purpose of exalting Christ. And that's where even the Church of Colossae was struggling. Their theology was awry because they were learning that some people were saying you should worship angels and that they were doing things that seemed to be right but they were being uh, sidetracked by looking left to the right instead of first and foremost looking up their actions um, they were told don't eat and don't touch which god said was good one of those things they may have been told not to eat or touch was bacon amen let's eat some bacon that's neither here nor there. Okay, the third thing that the church of Colossae, once again, with the justice, they, they were having an, ex, an internal pride in sacrifice. They were internally pride, uh, proud in, in their way they were living out their faith. We are holy by the way we serve. And their justice wasn't really about exalting God. We can do this too, real quickly. The same three things. Theology. Do we ever take pride in our theology through denominational loyalty, through church ideals, through my belief about what God says? Timothy warns us against this in 1 Timothy 1, 7 through 8. It says, they want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know that the law is good, provided they use it legitimately. Have we ever known somebody who wants to be heard in the church for how holy they are, but it doesn't seem to point people to Christ? Have you ever been told all the list of rights and wrongs without understanding of what it really looks like to be in the presence of Christ? These have the appearance of being good, but theology has to be about the study of God, and the study of God has to bring you into his presence. So what does that look like? In 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, Now the goal of our instruction is love. 
Notice, did you notice that it doesn't say the goal of our instruction is purity. <laughs> the goal of our instruction is a right theology. No, the, the goal of having a right theology is to be in the presence of God. Our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of what we're about with our theology is to bring people into the presence of God. The second thing, our actions. We must be in church. Hear me. But can I just be real with you guys as opposed to when I'm not? I don't know. It's okay that we are not gathered today. Because our actions are showing our community. Whether or not you agree with us or not, this is the intent of the decision we made. To take care of our people and our community. Now, if we use our actions to say you have to be in church at the, the detriment of our community, how is that love? But if we don't say that we need to gather because it doesn't matter, then that's, that's not good action-based theology either. Let our actions be things that point people, be methods that point people be acts of service that point people to the supremacy of Christ. This is the importance of how we serve. What about justice? <laughs> we live in a, a cancel culture. We live in a culture that is adamant that their theology is right. And let me explain what this looks like. <clears throat> theology goes wrong, and, and I see this all the time in church, and I see this all even in my own life if I'm not careful, is I care about one issue to the detriment of every other. And so we pick political parties, we pick ideas, and we make statements, and we don't even back them up. Let me explain it to you like this way. If I heard this said last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago by the time you're listening to this, the idea of being pro-life only once every four years means you're not really pro-life. The idea of caring about racial inequality only in the month of February means you don't really care about racial inequality. The idea of loving the poor only around Christmas time as you give a benevolence offering or as you take a ham because Christ would have you do that during this means you don't have a passion for the injustice of this world. And the idea of fighting for battles and theological issues while mitigating and diminishing the idea of other theological issues and other theological injustices means you don't get what it's about. Should we care about life? Absolutely. Should we care about uh, racial injustice? Absolutely. Should we care about the hundreds, literally, of other social injustice issues? Absolutely. But the answer isn't us trying through our actions to fix the world. The answer is for us to set our minds on Christ above, allow him to speak through us as a church, and our church to make a difference in our community and our world. Do you see it? How can you possibly change the world? You can't, but Christ can. 
And when the church lays together, when we learn together what it looks like to chase after him, this becomes a holy instrument. It becomes a holy vessel that glorifies God into the world. How do we do this? Where we have died to ourselves. How do we die to ourselves? Well, you got to care about what God wants more than what you want. I think that's ultimately what it means to look up instead of looking left or right or even inside. We look and we say, God, what is your passion will be my passion, your theology, your service, your life. So let us be clear, this world is not our home, but yet we continually gather to learn how to live for him. So what do we need to learn? We need to learn to keep Christ as the pinnacle of our faith. That ultimately, all those other things are there to help us point people to Jesus. Because this world is not our home. This is why we need to be reminded. Because I can get off track. You can get off track. And and so think about those three topics. Theology, action, and justice. Think of a a Venn diagram. Everybody know the Venn diagram? That's the three circles. Looking at Jordan, who's here. That's right, right? The three circles. And, and so you think of theology. That's good. And you think of our, our actions, our service. That's good. And, and then you think of justice. And all those are good. But the, the sweet spot is the part where all those circles overlap. And that's where we're trying to get as a church. We're not trying to get out of alignment by being too much in our theology, too much into our, our justice, or too much into our actions. We're trying to find the central part where Christ is ultimately glorified. That's why we need each other. Because maybe you're wired to go towards theology, or maybe you're wired to be a person of service, or maybe you're a person who longs for justice. Man, we need you, but we need you to, to help all of us find that sweet spot where Christ is glorified. We need to learn to keep Christ as the pinnacle of our faith. We need to learn to help one another remain steadily pointed in the direction of Christ. The church is not here to help you feel like you've arrived. The church is here to glorify Christ. And finally, we need to learn how to listen to his leading so we can maintain sound theology, consistent action, and to learn how to live justly according to him. (laughs) That is a huge statement. What does it look like to live according to him? It means we live out the gospel. One of my uh, favorite authors these days is uh, Jackie Hill Perry. And Jackie Hill Perry was talking about one of her struggles as a new believer. And she was talking with her mentor, and she was like, I can't seem to stop this this action, this sinful action. And, and her mentor looked at her and said, well, you don't tackle the obstacle in your life by trying to overcome the obstacle of your life. And Jackie Hill looked at her and was like, I don't understand then how am I supposed to overcome this? And she said, with the gospel. And it's it sent off these bells in her head as a new believer and a reminder that maybe we make this way too complicated. That the gospel is the answer as you're facing this new year. Maybe you set some New Year's resolutions two days ago and you've already abandoned them. Why? Because you can't do it. Maybe it's because you didn't give it the gospel treatment. 
And what is the gospel treatment? The gospel treatment is the good news that Jesus is who he says he is. That Emmanuel, like we just celebrated in this Christmas season, God is here. And his presence is still on us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And as we wake up and as we open our hearts and we set our mind on his presence, it's not about living a perfect life. It's about living a life walking in the presence of God. So that he guards us, and he guides us, and he directs us, and he steers us. And so one of the reasons we must learn to gather, we need to gather, is to learn what it looks like to stay in the presence of God. To challenge each other, to be in that mindset of following Christ. So here's our daily training today. Our daily training is, I would like you to do your part. To help our whole church know what it looks like to chase after the presence of God by you saying that I'm going to check with God before checking into the world every morning. Uh, Daniel, I'm not a morning person, and I'm not one of those who's going to get up at 5 a.m. And, and start a pot of coffee and have my devotional right out and a candle. And, and I'm just not going to do that. Uh, okay. I encourage you to spend time with God every day in the Word. But can I just challenge you to do this? Before you look at your phone, before you get up out of bed even, if you can, if you're able to wake up at all, would you just start with a simple prayer? God, help me to stay with you today. Help me to make you my priority today. Today is the day I'm going to live for you. What would it look like as the church if all of our little grains of sand were to really look like that, to refine us, to make us holy, to say today is a day to glorify Christ. You see, the mindset is this life belongs to Christ. As an individual, as a church, we're going to glorify Him. Guys, we love you. Wherever you're are today know that we long to gather back with you and whether that's next week which we anticipate at this time or whether it's down the road we want you to know as a church we need you and we care for you and we love you so as we go now i'm going to say a prayer of blessing over you and uh, there's not going to be no more songs at the end of this right chris yeah i'm getting a little thumbs up in the background and as we record this, I want you to, to really feel like, okay, God, what does it look like for me to really chase after you with my heart, my mind, my soul, not just now, but to begin every morning with that attitude. So may you go in the presence of Christ. May he be very present, real, and feel tangible to you. May he guard you from the ways of the wicked one. May he give you hope, peace, love, as you chase after him with faith. May you help us to proclaim him to the world. We love you guys. We'll see you soon.